I was a wedding photographer and I loved being a wedding photographer. Let me be clear about that because I got to be the center of attention. What people don't understand about the wedding industry, which I'll give you a little insider secret because I've been gone from it for so long. In this order, the three most important people on that day are the bride, the photographer, the bride's mom. That's it. Like you're number two. Like it's true. And so I learned how to be the center of attention and also be a fly on the wall at the same time, but also get the shot. This is the Photo Business Help Podcast, a resource for photographers of all levels from brand new to burnt out who believe that business growth starts with personal growth. I'm your host, Natalie Jennings. I created Jennings Photo back in 2010 and have been happily full-time since, but not without some mistakes along the way. Those lessons plus what's really helped me thrive financially and personally are what I wanna share with you so you can grow with your photo business too. You'll also hear stories from other photographers and industry folks, as well as my favorite ways to be more mindful and happier on this journey. I had the opportunity to share a stage with Michael at Podcast Movement this year. It was my first time speaking at Podcast Movement, and I got to know Michael a little bit better and was really interested in the work that he does helping people transform their trauma. But even more fascinating is the fact that he prior to doing this, was a multiple six-figure wedding photographer. And he knows this industry. And one of the things that we really connected on was that folks often hit blocks in their life, problems, just hitting a wall. And I know working with many of you that you have beautiful photos, you have an awesome website, you're taking all the classes, all the coaching, all the courses, and you still just feel stuck. You feel like you're not breaking through to your goals. You feel like you're just not getting it. And that is what this podcast is all about. We cover all of this and what really is at the core of this block for people. You're going to want to listen to this whole thing. Michael is an amazing speaker and we cover a ton of stuff. It builds momentum. So stay tuned until the end and enjoy. So are you one of those folks that say, "Ugh, I'm not blogging in my business because it takes so long and I don't know what to say and it's hard to choose photos and it's just a long process and I know I should do it, but I don't. Well, I've been there before, but one of the things that completely changed this game for me is when PickTime rolled out their blog feature early spring in February 2023. It not only allows you to create super, super beautiful blog posts, but you can do it so, so, so fast working with galleries that you've already uploaded for clients. So there isn't any doubling down on anything. And now they've added AI to this process as well. So you may have your feelings about AI, but if you're one of those people that's like, ugh, I don't know what to say, then let AI write something for you. And then you can add your own little voice and flair to it after it's done. It's a way to get things started. It's a way to help you get past that resistance of trying to get a blog post out or maybe multiple blog posts out. It's just one more feature in PickTime's bajillion amazing features that I think is fabulous. So if you're on the fence about trying PickTime, they are offering you one month free when you upgrade to a paid plan. So you can just try it. And if you find that you don't like any of these awesome features that I always talk about, you can cancel. If you go to pick-time.com, P-I-C-T-I-M-E.com and use the code PHOTOBIZHELP, you get that one month free when you upgrade to a paid plan. So that's pick-time.com, use the code PHOTOBIZHELP and try that one month free and get going on your blog because yes, it's still a relevant thing and it's something that's useful in growing your photo business. 
Hey, photographers, tired of staring at a blank screen when writing emails? 17 Hats has introduced a game-changing AI email writing feature called Hattie. Now, with just the click of a button, you can create polished, professional emails. So whether you're responding to leads or building templates, Hattie will elevate your communication game with the power of AI. It's just one more way 17 Hats helps you manage your business better. So go try 17 Hats for seven days for free and use code PHOTOBIZHELP for 50% off your first year. That's up to a $300 savings. Check it out at 17hats.com. Use code PHOTOBIZHELP. Yeah, so you started in the photo industry probably a few years before I did, like 2008, 9, 10-ish? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I've always been a photographer, which is an interesting thing to say, and a lot of people say that, but it's bullshit. I would get in trouble at five, six, seven years old for banging out Polaroids on my grandma's Polaroid camera and like taking pictures of ashtrays and birds and the cat she had and like the tv and what was on the tv and then like she would always be taking naps i'd take a picture of her taking a nap of my brothers of like i'd go outside and take a picture of the car tire with like the brakes and all these things and you know polaroids they're still like eight thousand dollars a shot you know and so like i was just gonna say like (laughs) you know and so back then i would get in trouble constantly and we had this thing that we did my for whatever reason, photography was like my grandma's thing. And we were dirt poor, like, let's be clear. So, you know, and photography is not a cheap hobby, but she had these old sewing machine tins. I'm never going to talk about this. this is great. I love this. I'm never going to talk about this. She had these old sewing machine tins and we had five or six of them. And there were tens of thousands of printed photos in these things. And I mean, ranging back from the early 50s, all the way up until, you know, when I first started messing with this stuff in the late 80s. And every Friday night, we would go and drop off film at like the Target or Kmart. It was a thing of the Kmart at the Kmart and we'd buy new film. And she'd give me like all this time to just play with it because she was tired of me using up her Polaroids all the time. So at eight years old, I'm like using this camera and we have this kind of routine because my grandma raised me. My mom was a drug addict and alcoholic. My stepdad was super abusive. And so anytime I could get to be with my grandma was like heaven sent, even though she was racist and I'm biracial and that's really weird. But that was a thing that we had together. And when I went to only one class trip, all of school, like all 18 years of school, we went to Washington, D.C. when I was in fifth grade and she bought me a Canon AE-1 and three packs of film. And she told me it was like two 800 ISO, like black and white, and then like a 400 color. And she's like, if you use all this, you don't have money to get more. Like, I think I had $20 literally for a week in Washington, D.C. And by the end of the trip, I had an entire roll and a half left. I had been very cautious about every photo that I had taken. And that's like where it began for me. And I just always had a camera in my hand up until high school. And then I was way more interested in girls and sports. And then I got accepted to a now closed New York Art Institute to go do photography out there. 
a fine art degree, which thank God that school closed because I'd be, you know, 80 grand in debt for no reason. <laughs> and so by happenstance, because I'm from the hood and we don't have any money, I couldn't get anybody to co-sign a loan for the $20,000 a year to attend this out-of-state school. And so I moved to New York City with 500 bucks in my pocket. And I'm like, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> it did not work, I assure you. <laughs> and so I, I find myself back in Indiana, Indianapolis. I'm 18. I haven't graduated high school. I got kicked out. I have no money. My grandma's in a coma. My mom's in jail and then in rehab. And then, you know, I'm just kind of like on my own dealing with my 17-year-old brother. And so I was like, I got to get a job. Like, I don't have a choice. And so I end up getting a job. I got into leadership super young. And so I'm running a, a Wendy's, being a general manager in training, making 36 grand a year in 2005, which is like a million dollars back then. Like I was living on my own. I had a car. I had my own cell phone. And like having your own cell phone in 2005 was like a thing. That's a big deal. I was a high school teacher. My first contract in 2009 was for $33,000. Yeah, that's crazy. Like back then that was good money. And now if you make that, I don't know how you survive. And so I kept working at this job. I hated it, but I was learning so many skills. And I knew then skills had utility. And I wanted to make a hundred grand a year. And making it legally was very, very important because, you know, I'd sold drugs. I got expelled from high school for selling drugs and fighting and absenteeism and all that stuff. I got family in prison for life. Literally to this day, I have family members who've been in prison for 30 years, some for my whole life. I've been in handcuffs so many times. I literally have lost count. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered. And so, like, I knew the path I was going and I, I wanted to make this money, but like fast food wasn't going to get me there. I ended up landing a job with a Fortune 10 company, and I made my first 100000 at 21 years old, which is insane. Like, nobody does that. And by the time I was 25, I'd made a million dollars working in sales for this Fortune 10 company, and it was like 960 grand, but, you know, close enough. Hey. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I destroyed my life, and I was you know, 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, partying all the time, car got repoed. In the midst of this, I'm starting my photography business. Like this is such a dumb thing to do, but I hated wearing fucking khakis to work every day. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm sacrificing part of who I am for money. And like as creatives, like I'm a creative, I literally have been a photographer my whole life. And as creatives, we want to go and be creative. We want to go do our thing and we want to do it on our terms. And to do it on my terms meant that I had to go and build this business. But I hadn't touched a camera at that point in probably six years. Like I was so hurt from no loans, nobody to co-sign. This dream that, that I've had for years is like gone. And I was like, fuck this. And one night or one day, this Saturday morning, an ad came in the mail for this place called Robert's Camera, downtown Indianapolis. And it was like, buy a kit. It was like Nikon D2000 with a kit lens for like 600 or 700 bucks or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I got money. Fuck it. I'm going to go buy this. And I go and buy it. And I just like, every picture is awful. 
Like, I don't understand anything. I don't remember anything. I don't know how to get exposures right. The whole nine. I thought for a second, not to interrupt you, but I thought for a second you were going to say something like, and then it all came back to me. <laughs> oh, no, it was horrible. And it, it was very defeating, too. But I was like, I'm not stopping. And it was it was just, I wanted to do something that made me feel good. And being a photographer it always made me feel good. And so I just I went after it and I just started learning. And then next thing you know, I'm learning from dudes like Zach Arias and I'm spending time with him in New York City. I'm learning from Chase Jarvis. I'm on Creative Live with Sal Sankata. I'm spending time with Susan Stripling and Kelby. And like, you know, I can name all these people. And it was like, and slowly, and I'm sure we'll get into this, I built a business from like really literally making $4 an hour. Like when I did the math, making $4 an hour to making 15 grand on a Saturday and being voted one of the number one photographers in Indianapolis, being on the cover of magazines, being published more times than I can count, teaching people, you know, winning awards, blah, 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 blah. Well, you said a couple of really important things. The first one always sticks with me when people say it because it's something I talk about a lot, but you wanted to do something that made you feel good. And I, one of the first things I ask people is like, how does this make you feel? You know, like, how do you feel when you're doing this? Do you hate it? Or, and you think you want to be a photographer, but you don't actually enjoy it? Or do you actually really like it? And I think that in anything goes a really, really long way. So I appreciate you saying that. But the other thing when it comes to business stuff that is probably even as important, if not more, is like, I did the math. I was making $4 an hour. And I can't tell you how many people don't do the math. So they're hustling and hustling and hustling. And they might be really fantastic photographers, but doing the math to figure out what that rate is, is not part of what's happened for them. And when they do the math, they're like, oh, oh shit, it's, I'm not making any money. So both of those things, I really appreciate. Yeah. And it's a wake up call because I had made all this money with this Fortune 10 company. I had left that career to go start this business. I started the business at 24, but by 25 and a half, even amidst all the chaos of my life, I was like, I'm going all in because I'm like, fuck it. What's the worst that's going to happen? I'll just go back to this company or I'll go do whatever. And at first, you know, I had a little bit of savings, but slowly it disappeared. And the next thing you know, I'm banging credit cards to survive. And then I'm like literally borrowing money from my girlfriend who lives with me to pay our rent. But it's like every single part of it was evolution where it was like, I'll do anything to get paid. Like, and I meant it. Like I photographed a family Thanksgiving dinner one time and they paid me a hundred bucks. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. I have no money. My electricity is about to get turned off. And then and then I got studious about the craft. And I don't mean the craft of photography. Taking pictures is very easy. Like it really is. Like once you learn and you understand composition and posing and you learn and you understand, you know, how to really do your reciprocals for lighting and you stop saying you're a natural light photographer and you like learn how to fucking do that. Like that stuff's easy. The hard part is like, how do I run the business? Absolutely. And I was a wedding photographer and I loved being a wedding photographer. Let me be clear about that because like I got to be the center of attention. What people don't understand about the wedding industry, which I'll give you a little insider secret because I've been gone from it for so long. In this order, the three most important people on that day are the bride, the photographer, the bride's mom. That's it. Like you're number <laughs> two. Like 
is true. And so I learned how to be the center of attention and like also be a fly on the wall at the same time, but also like get the shot. Right. And my team was there. Like we learned how to do all those things. And I grew like my business started in the era of here's your disc. Right. Yeah, I know. For, I was... for those people who don't know this world, photographers used to be like, here's a disc of all your pictures. <laughs> I just interviewed someone who started at the same time, around the same time as you and I, and we had a the same conversation. Like, I used to give CDs to people, like like it's like in a cool package. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that it's stupid, but it, it wasn't high end. Right. Yeah. And so I wasn't pricing myself high end and I ended up taking my last thousand dollars. Literally, I have no, I'm completely broke, but I got accepted to be on creative live with Sal Sincata and he was teaching the business foundations of wedding photography. And it's just because like, I was honestly, I was just annoying and I knew Chase and I was like, Chase put me on, like I would need to be in this room. And I went from my last thousand dollars and just like literally doing anything and making no money to sitting down one night, having dinner. It was a, either the night before or the first night of shooting. And it was a four or five, five day shoot. It was exhausting. And they had like these old fucking shitty high school chairs and they were super uncomfortable. And we shot for 10 hours a day. And I just took unbelievable number of notes and I'm having conversation with him. And he's like, your problem is you're a commodity. I'll never forget this. He goes, you're a commodity. You're getting paid as a commodity. Do you want to be luxury? You need to be luxury. And he's like, the only way you're going to be luxury is you have to create these packages. And you create these packages and you stick to the price. And you do not ever discount yourself ever again. And then between day rate plus packages, I was banging 15 grand 25 times a year. Right. Yeah. It took me a couple of years to get there, but like immediately it went from one grand Saturdays to five grand to 7,500 to 10. Right. And that was the thing that I had to learn and understand that the business is a business. It is not like your art has nothing to do with the business because you know this as well as I do. There are horrible photographers who make $10 million a year. Yes. I know some of them. I love them. They're my friends. Like I'm still in this industry, even though I'm removed, I run a company. Everyone in the industry knows I'm business partners in it. Right. But that said, like, if you can get to this place where you can just shift the way that you believe that your value is in the marketplace, you will make money or you will keep being poor. It's really up to you. Yes. Can we talk about that just a little bit for someone that's, I'm just picturing someone listening, going like, okay, is it as simple as just raising my prices? Yes. And here's how I look at it. What would I pay for knowing the effort that I and the quality of a photographer that I am? That was the question I started asking myself. And that's the same thing now. Like, you know, fast forward quite a long time from having a studio and now being one of the biggest coaches in the entire country in mental health, really the world. It's I, I made a decision and that's not me being egoic. That's just fact. Like it just is. That was within the scope of a decision of I'm never going to underprice what I believe I'm worth. And so like it was at the beginning, I didn't know that that was a question to ask. Right. I'm just like on Groupon, like that guy's $75. Cool. I'll do 50. 
like not understanding. I'm like, I just need to make money. So there's the hustler side of it, right? Where you're like, get out here and make money, respect, do that. And it helps because you get contracts, you get contacts and you get community and you get people who refer you. And there's a grind to that. But, you know, that grind, if you're three years into this game, you don't have a business, you have a hobby and you need to recognize that. And if you want to have the shift in it, you do have to ask yourself the question, what am I worth? Because if you're telling yourself you're worth $50 an hour, that's what you're worth. But you don't get a complaint about making $50 an hour. If you also stop charging by the hour, that's a whole nother conversation we can have. But but it really is it's this mindset shift about your value in the world. Think about this for a second. When we are young, you grow up in America, you grow up in most westernized, civilized states, not that most places aren't civilized, but like in this concept. What are you taught? Literally out the gate. Be humble. Be quiet. Sit in the back. Don't shine. Get in line. Raise your hand to go to the bathroom. Go to lunch when we tell you. Get these grades. Do this thing. Show up this way. This is your life. We will help you make sure that you do the thing that we want you to do. And so everything that you do in childhood is devalued, right? And it's like, I don't believe in being humble. I think it's nonsense. I think you should shine. There's a a Kanye West lyric early on in graduation. One of his songs says, I'm a star. How could I not shine? It's like, why are you taking that away from you? Because they told you that you don't matter. And then that ends up being reflective of how you negotiate your value and your worth in the marketplace. Because if all you've ever heard is stay in the back, be quiet, don't shine. Yeah, you're going to charge 50 bucks. If you can change that mindset and you're like, man, I'm fucking good at this. I'm the best photographer in this city, the best photographer in this country. When I am on, nobody gets close to me. I'm worth $10,000 for a day. That will start to happen. The evolution in that also is you have to be willing to face rejection because out of like all of those, like here's kind of like a loose math and it's been a decade. So I apologize. I don't remember, but the loose math is I would have any given week, 20 couples come into my studio. I would book one of them, but all I needed was 20 to make half a million dollars a year or 400,000 or 200,000 or even a hundred thousand at the beginning. Right. And so it's like, what do you need to do to get there? You have to figure out your sales process. You need your sales script. Your packages need to be correct. You need to have photos that are worthy of showing. You need to have art on the wall. You need to have sample books. You need to have testimonials. Video testimonials are especially incredible. You need to have people feel comfortable with you. You need to know how to talk to people. Soft skills matter. All of that stuff is in the equation, but predominant over and foremost of all of that is you got to believe you're worth it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And when you're selling to people, regardless of how good your script is or your photography for that matter, you have to have an authority. You have to have the ability to say, I know what I'm doing and this is how it's going to work and this is what it costs. And that comes from valuing yourself. But I see people that go through my program that struggle with that one thing, like they have beautiful photos and they get the business. You know, there's a few things that need to be tweaked, but there's this mindset piece that's like just front and center. I can see it. And I wonder if there's a way in this conversation to identify the things that are showing up in people's lives if they have a mindset problem. In other words, like, I don't think some people realize that it's a mindset thing. They're like, I have great photos. I've taken all the courses. Like, what could it be? 
Like how, is there a way to identify that within yourself if you are asking yourself those questions? Well, part of it is you have to recognize you're probably not good enough yet, right? And that's just the truth. And I use the word yet. You have potential to be great because like, look, $10,000 work begets $10,000 work. Like you have to be good, right? And, and the market, here's the thing too. Like this is a really difficult part of the conversation. People don't want to hear when it comes to their dreams. The marketplace is going to decide if you're good or not, you know? That's just the reality of it. But also on the other note, it's like, be so good they can't ignore you. That's what I did, right? Look at me. I'm six foot four, 220. I'm the size of a fucking linebacker. I'm covered in tattoos. I say fuck every other word. I got a gold nose ring in my face. I built a multiple six-figure wedding business in Indiana, okay? Not in Portland, not in Seattle, not in, you know, New York City, not in Atlanta, not in my Indiana in the 2007, 2010, 2015. Yeah. Right? Because I believed I could. That's what it is. It is a game of belief. You have to create a frame of reference in your life that allows your beliefs to lead you down a path of success. That's it. And people talk about mindset, but you know, one of the things and people do very poorly is they define mindset. And this is how I teach my clients this. Mindset is very simple. What you think becomes what you speak, what you speak become your actions, and your actions become your reality. And so if in your mind you're like, I'm doing all the courses, I went to this thing, but I listened to the podcast, but like you're looking for outs, you're looking for excuses and worse, you're probably playing a victim, which is a very dangerous game because you're like, it's not my fault. I tried everything. And now you have to add in some radical accountability because the reality is if your business sucks, it's your fault. It's not the market's fault. It's not, you know, the course instructor's fault. It's not anyone's fault except yours. You are the cause and the solution of all of your problems. And if you stop seeking a scapegoat and instead come to terms that there's something that you're blocking yourself from, you'll be able to find success. There's two things I do every single day. The second that I wake up, one, I put my feet on the ground and I say this aloud. I am in control of my life. Because I need that. Like, I grew up in chaos. I mean, I was a drug addict when I was 12. I blew a million bucks when I was 25. Like, I've always been out of control. I can get out of control that fast. I can destroy everything I've built in a moment. Trust me, I know how. I've done it. And so I remind myself every single first thing, I am in control of my life. And then the next thing I do is I ask myself a question. How am I interfering with my success? Because if you could answer that question honestly, then you'll start to be able to track and understand why you're stuck. Most people blame everything else in the environment except the person who's in control of what's happening. It's so powerful. A lot of it is building confidence only comes through doing incredibly uncomfortable things consistently. And if you haven't started offering $5,000 packages, you're never going to offer $5,000 packages. If you haven't started asking for $750 an hour, you're not going to get $750 an hour. And most people are like, but I'm going to lose a client. So one great client is 10 shitty clients. I promise you that. That's right. I have a post-it on my 
computer and it came from a podcast that I did not too long ago. And it just says, just ask. Because that keeps coming up. 70% of it. And I was like, that's just a good one to be reminded of. That, like you said, like if you're not going to ask, you're probably never going to ask. So you have to go for it, you know? So there's a really interesting study. I cannot think of it off the top of my head. I apologize. I will find it. I believe it was done by Franklin Covey Institute. And they found that on average sales calls, we did this when I worked for this Fortune 10 company because I was in the sales department. And they found that on average sales calls, salespeople do not ask for the sell 86% of the time at a sales organization. They don't <laughs> ask for the sell 86% of the time. Imagine what you're doing. You're not asking. That's almost 100% of the problem. I like, I go, and here's the thing too. I'll, I'll teach you a little sales trick. You sit down and you go, which package would you like? And then you shut up. And then you shut up. That's the good part. And then it gets real awkward. And you sit in it. And you sit in it and you don't say a word. And then they go, well, I have to think about it. And then I go, have I not given you enough information to make a decision? And if they go, no, you go, well, then why are you stuck? And then they go, well, you know, we're, we're weighing other options. And I go, I'm going to tell you this right now. By the time you walk out of this door, someone else is taking your spot. So if you want to work with me, now's the time. You need to make a decision. Do you want to use Visa or MasterCard? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier with the like authority piece. First of all, that being quiet piece is a part of it. Like you really just have to let people work stuff out and come to you with their questions and not fill that space with like awkward, like, well, and you could also, we could do this, you know, because that throws off your whole game and the whole presentation of trying to sell to somebody. But that authority piece is part of it is having confidence to be able to do what you just said. Yeah. And the confidence too is like, are you willing to walk away from the sale? I'm not badgering you. I'm not pestering. Because then I'm going to be like at your wedding and your, or at your quinceanera or at your like event. And I, the whole time you're going to feel that, right? That weird ickiness. I've never pressured anybody to a sale. It's like, do you want to work with me or not? This isn't rocket science. If the answer is no, have a great day. I hope you find the right person. And I've had people, I've lost business because people will come to me or used to, would come to me with a shot list and be like, we want to do all this. I'm like, I'm not going to do any of that. Literally, I just point blank, go, I'm not going to do any of that. Did you see any of that on my website? No, exactly. I don't do that. <laughs> When I shot weddings, I was very strict about the shot list thing, too. I said, please give it to somebody that knows all these people, and I'm happy to shoot whatever comes up, but I'm not going to be trying to shoot and looking at a list at the same time, which a lot of people don't like. But I found it to be so much easier when, like, the sister of the bride would just read off names and gather people for me, and then I didn't have to, like, do any sort of extra work. Yeah. I mean, that's a part of it. And like, here's a fun trick you can do when it comes to family photo time, make your assistant do it. <laughs> and then you go do all the fun shit with the couple. That's my role. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that loves that part of the, the wedding day. So, but it's a great way to get experience. So if you're getting into weddings, you know, you're probably going to, as a second shooter, be doing some of that for your, your lead. And that's fine. It's fine. It'll be great. You'll learn a lot. Yeah. And the other thing is, here's something I want you to think about as well. Look, I love talking about sales. I could do this all day. Put your consumer hat on for a second. All right. So you're in the mall, right? And let's say you make 400 grand a year. 
your lawyer, right? And your wife or whatever, their doctor. And household income, 750, you're in the top 1%. You guys are crushing, right? Are you shopping at HMM or are you shopping at Louis Vuitton? Well, I would imagine not H&M. I would imagine not either, unless you really just love it, which is probably a thing too. And so when (laughs) people who have money are in the marketplace for anything, they're looking for two things to happen. One, they're looking for a simplified process. They do not want the stress. They don't want to deal with it. Here's the check. Do your job. Two, they're looking for an expert who is so good that all they have to do is show up and know that it's taken care of. You charge somebody $1,000, they're going to be on your ass the whole time. How do I know this? Because I did a lot of those. You charge somebody 15 grand, 20 grand, they're 30 grand in with you, even eight grand in with you, which is a significant amount of money. They're going to let you do your thing. It is such a better working environment. And so it's also like looking at it from the aspect of people have been lied to and told that consumers do not have money. That's not true. People have tons of money. I know many, many, many millionaires. I know a couple billionaires even. Personally, I know these people. They're on my phone. I can call them right now. I've made multiple six figures in the wedding industry in a single year. I've been able to watch the evolution happen in real time when I changed my mindset about who does and who does not have money. And everyone's not your client. But also you have to recognize. So there's this concept that I think about a lot where it's like, look good, feel good, right? And so imagine for a second, I come into your studio and your studio is at a co-working space. And the co-working space is full of all these tech bros and it smells like kombucha and like it's loud and and like like and I'm being serious. Like, do you expect me to pay you ten thousand dollars? No. No. Right? You come into my studio and there's a beautiful leather couch and we have a bookshelf and it smells of rich mahogany and like there's candles lit and we have my art that I've shot over the years on the wall and on the table, there's 15 wedding albums covered in the most beautiful, luxurious Italian handcrafted hand sewn leather. And I have a bottle of wine on the table and there's Perrier and it's lit just right. And you feel like you are walking into a luxury experience. You're probably not going to think twice about spending 10 grand. And so part of the problem and the reason why people aren't charging their worth is because their environment isn't reflective of that. Now, I'm not saying fake it till you make it, put yourself in debt. That's not a smart decision. I went down that path. It's dumb. I don't recommend it. But what I am saying is like, how do you use the resources that you have at hand to build an experience for people? And that's whether you're doing commercial work, portrait work, pet photography, like whatever. The part of the thing about look good, feel good It's like when I walk into a room and I'm with millionaires and billionaires and I'm getting ready to speak on stage in front of them because of the career that I have today. It's like, you best believe I got on my special edition Jordans and my $300 jeans. I always wear the same t-shirt. You've seen this, but like I got on my $5,000 watch because I feel the power and the energy of being in that. But it wasn't always like that. It was like, I'm borrowing money from my girlfriend to pay the rent. And it's like, you have to be honest about where you're at. You can't charge people 
what you think you're worth until you're putting yourself in an environment of what you think you're worth. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of this goes back to that mindset stuff. But I'm also, before we wrap up, I'm interested, very interested in the work you're doing right now, coaching people that have been through childhood trauma. And I have a guess that sometimes, I'm not saying all of the folks I work with, but that sometimes when people are stuck, that they may not be working through something that is keeping them a little bit stuck that they don't even realize is there. And that brings me to sort of the work you do now. And I just thought maybe you could speak a little bit about how that might play into business blocks and and being stuck. Yeah, entirely. I mean, look, we're the sum total of all of our experiences. Everything that's ever happened in our life leads us to this moment. So like, imagine that. Let's play a game real quick. You're in third grade and you're in Miss Smith's class. And it's coloring day and it's your favorite day. You're like, I fucking love coloring day, right? And on your desk is a house, you know, outline. There's a puppy and the sun and grass and a car. You're supposed to color. You get in there, you start coloring, you're creating and you're doing this thing and you make the sun purple. And Miss Smith comes up to you and she goes, (laughs) the sun's not purple, silly. And it's so innocent. So like you like it doesn't even register to her, but the class laughs at you. They hear you. They hear it. They go, dummy. The sun's not purple. Everybody knows that. And immediately, because your brain is a meaning making machine, is trying to diagnose the situation and understand what's happening. And the brain says to itself, well, when I made the moon, the sun purple. I was trying to express myself, but when I expressed myself, everyone laughed at me and I was ostracized and I was removed from the person that I am and what I have to do because the brain's predominant function is survival. I make meaning to create survival mechanisms. Now I'm going to interpret that every time that I am me, that it is dangerous. And so since every time I'm me, it's dangerous, I'm never going to be me, that becomes a survival tactic that begins to serve you. And for a period of time, it does, right? You're 12, 16, 18, sure. But now you're 32, you're 47, you're 56, you have a family, you're trying to build a business, you're trying to express yourself in the world, and you don't know how, because you've been told don't subconsciously you're not even aware of it you don't even recognize that the thing that happened that to miss smith was so innocent and that no one else in the classroom remembers has you stuck now imagine what starts to happen when it's really insane abuse like when my mother cut my finger off when my stepdad locked me in a closet when i got put in the hospital because i got beat up by him when you know we were homeless for three years and i live with over 30 families and I started doing drugs when I'm 12. Like that sets you up for massive failure. That's how I destroyed my life at 25. I capped my potential based on what everyone had told me that I was and the experiences that I had that also shifted into this place that became survival mechanisms. And it's like, how do you think you're going to be successful when you're so tied into the past? And what's difficult about this is some things are evident, right? You're like, I got molested. Okay, cool. That's very evident, right? Not cool, but you know what I mean, right? So it's like, that's evident. You can look at that and you go, that's why I have problems in relationships. But what about this? 
What about, and this is, we're a bit of a time remove, so people our age will really understand this, but what about when the bill collector would call your house and your mom or dad would, don't you touch that phone? And the voicemail would come on. Hey, Miss Smith, this is a Verizon Wireless. We're calling to let you know your bill's overdue three months. Um, we're going to shut you off. And then there's bills at the door and there's bills piled up on the desk. And then what happens, you don't recognize you got money trauma. You're terrified of money. Your worth about money is tied into watching people around you not have money. And let's add a layer to it. Let's say you grow up in deep poverty. You're on food stamps. You're on WIC. You're on government housing. You get the little card that makes you special and you have to get in the other line in elementary school to get the lunch. You don't have two nickels to rub together, or as my grandma used to say, a pot to piss in. Well, guess what starts to happen now? Now your entire money schema is tied into this idea of lack, not abundance, lack. And so you only think about the bare minimum, and it's embedded in you because the 1st and 15th got celebrated by your community, and you heard rich people are horrible. Yo, my richest friends are the nicest people I know. Seriously, they're great. I don't have any rich friends who are assholes. I don't have one of them. They're great. And so you look at that, and even myself, as someone who is in the 1% who came from poverty, I'm going to shine the light on myself and go, I know what it's like to steal food to survive. Go ask the big lots on 30th and Georgetown how many times they caught me stealing food. Right? And so it's like, now I look at, I go, look at what I'm able to do with money. You owe it to yourself, to your community, to your church, to your kids, to your legacy, to go and get rich. But you have to heal your money trauma. And there's a lot that happens in here. And so this is a very long answer to your question. Effectively, what I do is I help people learn to love themselves and understand their worth. That's it. That's all I do by connecting the dots of their past that have led them to this moment and then giving them permission to go be free and pursue who it is that they choose to be. Because I promise you, sitting here in front of you is very far removed from the kid who had nothing. But I decided that I refused to have nothing and that I was worth more than what everyone told me I would be. Yeah. Well, that was a great way of answering my question, first of all. And I don't think that I want to add much to that anymore in this conversation other than to point people to what you do, if any of this resonates, because I think that it is difficult. And you used a great example of being molested. I think it is difficult for most folks to understand that trauma and subconscious traumatic patterns, or not even necessarily deep trauma, but just experiences in life are shaping who we are and likely part of the blocks that I see people run into. And I think that having a resource like you to address that or whatever, I really just want to encourage people to start looking at that because you're right that you have the power. You are the creator and the solution. And that is so important, I think, for people to hear because as someone who helps people with their businesses predominantly, like there's always this external search for solutions. Like it's out there. The solution is out there somewhere. And it's the solution is almost always within, right? Yeah. There's an amazing speaker. We shared a stage years ago. His name's Bishop T.D. Jakes, if you're familiar with him. He's a 
phenom big booming voice gigantic human being and he he uh he said something one time i think about every single day i literally think about this every day of my life since i heard him say this must have been four years ago i heard him say this new levels new devils and so it's like what are you gonna do about it yeah i usually end interviews by asking people a thing that they want to share with people but i feel like unless there's something else that you want to leave people with i think that that's perfect you know what do you want to do about it because that's it's always going to be the case it's not that you get to one new place and then everything is butter you know yeah it's not it never is and there's the if when like that's the thing i'll share is if you can remove the if when from your life if this happens then i will be when this happens i will be and instead recognize this and I am a nihilist, okay? And so what that means for me is I believe that nothing that we do matters. Like at the end of the day, when we die and turn to dust, nothing matters. It's like, I'm asking, like, name your great-great-grandpa. I don't know my great-great-grandfather's name. Exactly. No one does. And you're talking about a generation remove from that. And we have this concept in our head about legacy. I want to build this. I'm going to do all these things. When this happens, then I'll feel fulfilled. If this happens, I'll be happy. It's like, it doesn't actually matter. Like really in the scheme of things on the long enough timeline, you're dust. No one's going to remember my books. No one's going to remember my podcast. No one's going to remember the stages I've been on. And that's fine with me. And I hold that in juxtaposition of a competing concept and idea that is a single driver of my life. That this moment right now, literally this moment is the most important fucking moment ever. And every decision I make in this moment is is the most important decision I will ever make. And it's like, if you can wrap your head around that, maybe you don't have to be a nihilist. Sure, I, I get it. That doesn't fit everyone. But what I am saying is if you can recognize that this moment's actually the only moment, not the past, because it's done. It's over. You have to heal it. You have to let go of it. You have to move forward from it. Don't stuff it down because it's going to fuck you up. I promise. Go look at my life at 25. And you can't be tied into the future because that's anxiety. It's anxiety. Like that's where chaos exists. I'm so worried about tomorrow. You might not even make it to tomorrow. And it's like, can you get your mind here in the present in this moment, with your people, with your community, with your career, with yourself. Because if you can focus here, not that you don't need to have huge goals, and, and trust me, I do. Like they're on this whiteboard, they're, they're scary. Sometimes I read them. But it's like, I can't move towards those goals unless I'm focused in this moment about the things that move me in that direction. So let go of the if and when and just get in the now, and your life will be dramatically different. I totally agree. It's the one tiny decision after one tiny decision after one tiny decision. And if you're focused on like what you're choosing to eat for lunch and then what you're choosing, like if you're focused in the now, you make better decisions and it compounds into a better life, you know? Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. And before we jump off, where can folks find you? Yeah, I'm everywhere at Michael Unbroken on all the socials. And uh, there's the Think Unbroken podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Think Unbroken. Yeah, right on. Thank you. This was a great conversation. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, photographers. Tired of staring at a blank screen when writing emails? 17 Hats has introduced a game-changing AI email writing feature called 
Patty. Now, with just the click of a button, you can create polished professional emails. So whether you're responding to leads or building templates, Hattie will elevate your communication game with the power of AI. It's just one more way 17 Hats helps you manage your business better. So go try 17 Hats for seven days for free and use code PHOTOBIZHELP for 50% off your first year. That's up to a $300 savings. Check it out at 17hats.com. Use code PHOTOBIZHELP. So are you one of those folks that say, ugh, I'm not blogging in my business because it takes so long and I don't know what to say and it's hard to choose photos and it's just a long process and I know I should do it, but I don't. Well, I've been there before, but one of the things that completely changed this game for me is when PickTime rolled out their blog feature early spring in February 2023. It not only allows you to create super, super beautiful blog posts, but you can do it so, so, so fast working with galleries that you've already uploaded for clients. So there isn't any doubling down on anything. And now they've added AI to this process as well. So you may have your feelings about AI, but if you're one of those people that's like, ugh, I don't know what to say, then let AI write something for you. And then you can add your own little voice and flair to it after it's done. It's a way to get things started. It's a way to help you get past that resistance of trying to get a blog post out or maybe multiple blog posts out. It's just one more feature in PickTime's bajillion amazing features that I think is fabulous. So if you're on the fence about trying PickTime, they are offering you one month free when you upgrade to a paid plan. So you can just try it. And if you find that you don't like any of these awesome features that I always talk about, you can cancel. If you go to pick-time.com, P-I-C-T-I-M-E.com and use the code PHOTOBIZHELP, you get that one month free when you upgrade to a paid plan. So that's pick-time.com, use the code PHOTOBIZHELP and try that one month free and get going on your blog because yes, it's still a relevant thing and it's something that's useful in growing your photo business.